Just seen a stampede of thieves and jinx and all green fatigue Coming for my freedom, cousin Something I can't leave So if I die, then I die But my freedom's coming Hey, welcome, we're live Mike Crawford, Young Jerks Wanted to welcome you to a special broadcast Sunday, a little past 6pm uh, We have two guests on the Zoom, I always want to say live in the studio. I'm, I'm starting to get used to this, but I still go back to the throwback. But we have two guests on the Zoom right now. Uh, one of, uh, actually, both of them are running for Massachusetts state representative, state rep in Massachusetts. And today we're calling this the uh, COVID-19 Forum because we're going to talk about COVID-19 and what it means to all of us. And, uh, you know, may hopefully come up with some solutions to get us all through this trying time. We have two uh Great ladies on the Zoom right now. One who's been on the show in the past. I uh, got to make sure we uh, unmute their microphones right now. Uh, we All have right. Michelle Mullet and Stephanie Everett, both running for Massachusetts State Rep. Which of you ladies would like to uh, say hello first? I'll let Michelle go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Steph. Uh, my name is Michelle Mullet. I'm running to become the first female state representative of the 20th Middlesex District in Massachusetts that covers the towns of Reading, North Reading, Linfield, and Middleton over on the North Shore. Excellent. And Stephanie? Hi, Stephanie Everett. I'm running for the 12th Suffolk state representative seat, which covers parts of Mattapan, Dorchester, High Park, and Milton. Very awesome. diverse district. Uh, Michelle, my children went to school in Linfield, up one up to the eighth grade, and the others up until sixth grade. So no oh, all wow. So you have a connection to my district. You got to talk about I that. I do. 
Awesome. So we we, we have uh, two two candidates for offers. You're both uh, actually you probably already started collecting signatures. I guess I know Michelle. You said you're on the ballot, right? Right. I just found out this week. Um, I'm officially on the ballot. I collected um, since this is my first campaign. I kind of hustled way at the beginning, and I collected 200 signatures the beginning of March. And right before I saw the kind of things surfacing, you know, kind of alarming about the pandemic, and I thought, man, I need to take care of this now because it's such a complicated process. Um, not only do you have to collect all the signatures from the different towns in your district. So I'm lucky in my district only have four towns. Some people can have, you know, 10, 20 towns. Oh yeah. Um, so when you start to do that, you're turning in your um, signatures to the town clerk for each town. Um, that adds a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of the workforce wasn't even there after I turned them in. Um, and then there's a the complication of picking them up, right? Because people were closing and are going home, staying home, working from home. And uh, that really added a lot of time and kind of stress to like, man, I hope these town clerks are cool and they mail them back to me. You know, um, any one of them could have said, you know, you really need to pick them up. And I have asthma, so I'm not going anywhere for a while. Um, so through that complicated process, I mean, it, it's a testament to like, all the inherent built-in um, kind of barriers to people of color running for office and people that are working class trying to do this work. Um, it's just, it was not easy, but I'm so happy I was out there early and I took care of it. And so um, ironically, the same day that I found out that lawsuit went through where um, candidates have extra time. And so there's an extended deadline and uh, uh, smaller number threshold for signatures. Which is good, which is good news. There was a lawsuit and fortunately had to come by a lawsuit on, you know, instead of sane heads prevailing at the Secretary of State's office, I think. Um, right, and, and Stephanie kind of has the opposite um, I, and she can tell more about it, but I, I am happy for my fellow candidates that still have, you know, more time because there's, it's just such unusual circumstances. Definitely is. And Stephanie, how are you doing on the signature gathering? Dropping off our first batch tomorrow. So unlike Michelle, I did not pull papers until two weeks ago tomorrow. Uh, I was talking about running for this seat because the current state rep, Dan Cullinane, announced in February he was not going to mm -hmm. run. Um, and then I was supporting someone who was actually in the race already, and he decided not to run. So I started to have these conversations. I was actually meeting with someone on the day that the mayor announced that the schools would be closed until April 27th. Both of you all are on my Facebook page. So you heard me talk about my son and the challenges that we have at home, um, just trying to meet his uh, education needs and having no experience. My law degree means nothing to what I'm going through at the house trying to educate him. Um, so. Which is common. It's it's like, uh, I was just, it's so funny you mentioned that. I'm glad mm -hmm. you're from Boston too, because this leads me, you know, before even, you know, the Boston public school parent right now, are you? Yes, I am. Because parents are freaking out. Like, this is a discussion I saw on Facebook today about, you know, the way that things are changing and the scheduling at Boston public schools and people are freaking out. Parents, like, how do you, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing if your child's a little older and self-sufficient, you can do the computer learning. But when you have younger kids and you have to work, it's like, how is that working? How, how, 
How does that work? It's a challenge. I, and that's, you know, it's, it goes to why I decided, because at a certain point I was like, I just can't do this. I want to be home. I have to be home. I have my own law firm. How am I going to manage mm. all of these things, right? right. And candidate on top of it. Um, and I do have, I have a child who's in a charter school. I have two in BPS schools and one in a private school. So I have every different um, school system in my household. However, what propelled me to run was that exactly what you're saying is what I was missing. Where was the conversation with people who were going to say what we should be doing? Given my seven-year-old a Chromebook was great. Um, it does nothing for his ADHD. It does nothing to address all the services that are um, supposed to be implemented in his IEP. And it did nothing for the parents. So the kids came home on the 16th from school with um, Chromebooks and all this work with the anticipation that they would be out until April 27th. Not one of those books, not one of those papers said, here, mom, this is what you need to do. This is his schedule so that you can have a continuum of services, at least a schedule, um, in your household so i was horrible at it i am still like having my moments one i had to learn to forgive myself for not being you know i fight about his iep i i held him back this year so he's in his second year in first grade because i've been fighting he's not he's a foster child but he's my son i've had him for six years and there's no way i'm going to let him fall through the cracks so i've been fighting to make sure he has the services he's entitled to so when this all happened it was I felt like I had failed him. I did so much fighting to make sure that the services were provided for him at the school. He has therapy that I set up for him um, outside of the school. But I never, I was like, oh my God, I didn't take the time to learn how to educate him. And reality is no parent takes, you know, we can do right. basic stuff, but for special ed, <laughs> I totally did. know. It, but, it really, yeah, I'm, and I'm in a similar situation. I have a kindergartner and a second grader. Um, thank God they get along, but um, it's the same thing. It's like at first, everything was, you know, just one little Zoom call here or there. And then all of a sudden, the teacher sent me all these emails like, where's all his work? I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have time to be doing, it. you know, it's the apocalypse. I don't have time for math worksheets, lady. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you get stressed out. You're like, I'm trying, but there, it is a lot. Yeah. It's, a lot, it's, a lot. it's an extra job, right? Yeah. Because you still have the role of a parent. So I still have to break up fights, start there. Um, someone's always <laughs> looking at someone for, you know, for some reason that just yeah. creates world three in my house. Um, but for me, it was, I had to learn to accept my limitations and his limitations. Um, and part of that was he loves math. So I would do, because like you're saying, Michelle, it's just so much going on. I have other things to do. I would say, okay, start school nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. Let me give him all the attention up front. So that way he does like this math program and it's called Imagine Learning in the afternoons too. But those are independent. He puts the headphones on and he's out. Right. And there's things that I have to do with him. So I used to try, the first two weeks was, we're going to mm -hmm. do the things that require me to be there. And right. that way I can have the rest of my day to myself. That failed. It failed miserably. <laughs> it's like, it's good plan. <laughs> because I was doing it according to what I needed and not what he needed. So mm -hmm. what I adjusted to was that he now gets to do math because he loves math. 
So he starts math in the morning, and then we go to something he may not like. But I realize that there is no two-hour period that I'm not I'm going to be able to set him aside someplace and be able to work. So you know, I'll take the half hour, and then I'll put a half hour toward work when I know he can be independent. But there is it also gives him this like. I can't believe it. I got through this math. Give me the next thing, right? And so he oh. had, he needed the the bump because he's seven. He's not unaware of the differences between himself and others, but he also needs it. You know, it brings out um, behavioral things because he does notice the difference, right? So you got to do things that really make his self esteem bump early on in the day. So that way, when we are struggling with something, and believe me, there were tears. I remember him crying his heart out and had me crying my heart out. Because, and that was when I changed because I realized that I was failing both of us. I was expecting something of him that he could not do. He was expecting something of me that I have no idea how to do or even begin to do. So the biggest thing to do was just accept this is what this life is going to be. And you do math in the morning. It's still it's independent for him. He you know gets to play a game or whatever it's called math, reflex math, but he loves it. And it gives him that confidence. But it wasn't until we started to do that that I even thought about running again. And I, I wanted, I waited, I was waiting for the people who had announced to say, this is what we're thinking about these kids because it's gonna happen, right? We're gonna go back in the world and I need to hear the plans and I wasn't hearing the plans. And that's how I ended up jumping in. So I'm, I say all that, but I'm, you know, that's why I'm behind the curve with getting signatures. We are still trying to get wet signatures more than we are doing electronic signatures. Um, there was no advisory on what program to use for um, electronic signatures. So we came up with one that's, that works very well, um, but we're still gonna try to old school it and just do. And so I'll drop off a, a batch tomorrow and then we, we have to set up, in the city of Boston, you have to set up a time to go to the election department. There's no just showing up like you, you yeah, did. Yeah, not usual. You have to call yeah. ahead, like everything. I, we, we did some banking this weekend. We had to call ahead just to mm -hmm. deposit checks at the bank. Um, so you're, Stephanie, you're still collecting signatures. People can probably get get the uh, signature forms from you right now yeah. on your so, website. Request them. So you can either, you can sign up on my website to help say the um, documents called Help Stephanie Get on the Ballot. And that allows you to either request an electronic sheet to be sent to you or I've been mailing them out. So I will mail them with a return um, self-addressed envelope so that people can um, feel safe and comfortable in their home. I'm doing whatever anyone yep. wants me to do. I've had yep. people say, just leave it on my porch. Others are like, I don't want you touching my porch, but I want to sign. Um, but I think that it's important that we still allow people to be part of the process, right? You want people to feel like, I contributed to someone getting on the ballot. Definitely. I, to the I feel like that. I just helped uh, two candidates, Ed Markey, number one, and uh, yeah, he's someone that's running for governor's yeah. council. Uh, I'm going to forget her name right now. Eileen Duff. Who is it? Is it Eileen Duff? No, she lives in oh. Lynn. I'm trying to remember her name. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, we're going to have her on the show very soon. I'll make it up to her. Yeah, hope, I mean, that's... It's to get on the ballot, right? And it yeah. shows the coordination... It shows people you care that you're willing to, you know, be as creative. This whole time is going to be our creativity. There's no roadmap to get right, right. No roadmap. And those conversations are just so important. I mean, you're just getting to know people in the community. Um, and it, when you lose that, it's just, it's not the same. Part of your job as a new candidate is like, 
to get your name out there and it's just going to be that much harder. It is. So we, we definitely hope people, anyone say the towns, I know it's mostly Boston, but the neighborhoods again, Stephanie, that people can mm-hmm. sign your paperwork to get you on, on the ballot for mass state rep. So it's High Park, Mattapan, Dorchester, and Milton. So it's parts of all of that. It's, it's very awesome. Easy. Perfect. And if you have any questions, just help Stephanie Everett. Let's help her get on the ballot. You know, if you're totally. listening in the in those neighborhoods, contact her, sign her paperwork. It's easy. I, you know, that's all I did. I had those two candidates uh, send it to me in the mail. I signed the paperwork. I had my girlfriend sign the paperwork, self-addressed envelope back in the mail. I felt totally safe. And I think that's, People need to step up and help good candidates get on the ballot. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for both of you for spending the time. We have Michelle Mullet. Uh, she's also running for Mass State Rep and Stephanie Everett running for Mass State Rep. Uh, Michelle, tell us the cities and towns. It's mostly towns again, actually. Yeah, no, um, they're all towns out here. It's, um, it's kind of commuter suburbs. So North Reading, Reading, Linfield, and Middleton. Um, and that's something I you know, before all this happened, some of the big issues out here, it's mostly transportation. Of course, now, like I went driving around today, there's no traffic. But before all this, uh, just kind of fixing that infrastructure, we had the worst traffic in America, um, getting the funding for that through things like the fair share amendment, um, making millionaires pay for some of the their fair share instead of just working class people always um, taking that burden on through taxes. Uh, so that's what's going on out here. And the biggest, uh, the next step for my campaign, since we're already on the ballot, is um, we've been writing a bunch of postcards. And I actually, um, I'm down to like the last probably 200 out of 5,000. So my volunteers have been awesome. Um, everybody's home. They want to do something and help out. And that's just been incredible. It feels good to have that support and um, be a new candidate. That's what we need is just to get my name out there um, to for people to even realize that this guy's been running for 25 years unopposed. Um, and it, it takes a while to activate that voter base who's kind of just taking it for granted, like, oh, it's just the same guy, only one name on the ballot, you know, for 20 years. So um, I feel like that's exciting for people because they haven't had a choice um, in a long time. And he's a Republican. Uh, Right now, he pretty much represents the evil empire and a dystopia that we all live in. So it's looking pretty good for me, I feel like. <laughs> That's great. Linfield, Middleton, say the other towns again. Um, Reading and North Reading. North Reading and Reading. Perfect. Mm-hmm. We know people. And then in also, North Mike, um, Stephanie has, this is not her first campaign. She's run for other things too. Yes. Yes. And you have you a lot of political, yeah, political experience too, right, Stephanie? Yes, so I've run my, not run my own campaigns, but I've run for office three other times. I've actually ran for this seat before, which is part of the reason why I wasn't going to run again. I, when people were asking me, I was like, I've done this three times, right? And so um, I was very happy with playing the background. Um, I had the opportunity last year to go um, do a training on fundraising with Emerge, which was great to try to get women to fundraise and not be afraid to ask for money and i can tell you everything you can do to fail i i three times i can write a book about it i could talk about it um and so i wasn't interested at, at um not because i don't think my community deserves better i 
at some point just felt like I, I'm probably better. We all have our roles, right? That there are some people who just need to play certain roles. And, you know, I was just trusting that after three times, this is not the role I'm supposed to be in. And it wasn't until all of the COVID stuff happened. And I started to call people just to check in on my neighbors. And, you know, started with the senior citizens that part of ward committees and people I know grew up with just to see how they're doing. A lot of seniors are very prideful. They're not going to tell you they need anything. So you kind of have to sneak in. How do you get something to them? Um, and from those conversations, this is how I started to think about running again. And I will say that we have had such a positive um, response, more so than any other campaign before. And mainly because, as Michelle said, I've run before. Um, but I'm also trying to focus on the solutions that we need to be discussing, not only in policy, but in budget. There's going to be a lot of things that come January, we have to jump in and really dig our heels down and figure out what we're fighting for. The amount of money we're going to have in the budget is going to be drastically different than what we have right now. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we all need to brace for that. I was in, um, Sonia Chang Diaz's office, a senator, her first term, which was also when we were in our Great Recession. So I was there when we were dealing with the foreclosure crisis, the unemployment rate. Um, so I'm pretty equipped to deal with the chaos that's about to come. I'm not saying that I know everything that's going to happen, but I definitely think that one of the benefits of my candidacy is that I've written policy in the Great Recession that was around foreclosure. So I know what we can do. 10 years later to help our constituents out now because it's coming again. We just don't know what degree it's coming again. And I think we need to start having real conversations um, with solutions, not just complaints. You know, we can all point out what's wrong, but we, it's going to be upon us as candidates, as legis those who are already elected legislators to really start thinking about the solutions that we need to have in place for whatever's coming our way. The most creative things you can think of, I think we should stop throwing them at the wall because we everything right now is going to stick because we don't have a roadmap to this. What, what do you think are some of the solutions? I mean, there, I don't even know where to start with all the problems, but <laughs> like, what, what are you, some of the things that you're hearing or considering or looking at? So, there's a, so the ones that I've been talking about more, it's just around the education. Um, we have some generations of children, not just one. We have a couple of generations that are being impacted by COVID-19. And we need to make sure that we do not increase the dropout rate. You're going to have children who were disproportionately disadvantaged during this time with internet access, computer access. Um, there's an assumption that all parents can educate their children at this point. So if you have a parent that did not pass high school or did not pass middle school, they are now expected to educate or, and or oversee older children, which is not that easy if they themselves don't have those tools. So one, we need to stop saying that we all can do something because it's not true. We, we all have different um, education levels and patience levels because again, my law degree means nothing. The patience level is what I really need someone to pour into oh. me. That's the key. That's the key with kids. <laughs> I, I used yeah. to be a school teacher and coach and I failed on that. So that's why I had to leave that Wendell life. And, and I think I'd be better today. I think I'd be more patient. But when I was younger, I had no patience yeah. for children. Yeah. It was hard. It's hard. It's so draining. 
Jesus. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Stephanie. No, no, no. I definitely, because it's, it's the truth, right? We all have our limitations in life and we have to be honest with them. Um, mm -hmm. But for our children, when they go back to school, so I've talked about whether it's a hybrid, you know, they do their current year now um, for a couple of months in September, October, November or so, and then go to the next grade. Or we do, um, I, I believe that everyone should be tested. All the kids who were at risk have IEPs or were failing um, on the last day of school, whatever the town or city um, declared their last day of school. Come mid to late July, they should have an assessment done to see exactly where they're at. And those who need more support can start school in August. If they start so let me, I just want to interrupt you because I think that's a really interesting point that you just made. But I want to make sure that we... You're talking about, because again, when I was younger, I had issues. I had speech impediments. They thought I was slow. All the, all those issues. Yeah, right? And then we end up doing well, right? Later in life, and it turns out we weren't slow. Like it just, and, and part of that was the assessment. And, and my mother did the same thing that you're talking about, like standing up and making sure that we got the help that we needed. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with uh, knowing what the issues are. And, and not like, I think a lot of our testing today is just high stakes. You know, it's all this political pressure on the kid and it means so much and where we need more right. assessments without the political pressure, without the high stakes testing. Is that, so you're talking about assessments versus testing, right? Is that yeah, right? No, not testing, assessments. You just need to know where the child is at, right? So there's no expectation that the child, if you're in the seventh grade, there's, it's not an expectation that you fully get all of seventh grade or some of eighth grade. The expectation is just, I want to know where you as a child are at. So I know what supports I need to offer you. So if you were a child who are at, that was at risk or was failing or has an IEP, then we can figure out where you need to be. And depending on your assessment, you may need to start school in August. So for my son, for example, he needs structure, like I said terribly needs structure. The moment you take him off, off schedule is the moment things just go chaotic. So, you know, even for Christmas break, we always go back to school with the expectation that I'm gonna get calls, we're gonna have these, he's in elementary school, so he still gets color days. So I'm expecting, you know, orange and red days more than I'm expecting yellow and green because he has to get himself back on that schedule. So for him, going back to school in August would just allow him to pick up the routine without the distraction of an entire school where the teacher may not be able to give that much attention to the kids who need that. Same thing, I think about the small structure of kids going back in August if you're in high school. I was a horrible student, horrible student. I had a speech impediment, so you will hear me say words that don't sound completely right. Oh, yeah, I think you sound great. <laughs> Way better than me. My, my kids get on me. Oh, if my kids hear me say something, it's like the joke of the day because, and I keep telling them, you can't talk about me. I had speech therapy growing up. Um, do, you, do you laugh along with them on that? I do. Or? Because there's, I know that there's some words I just can't physically say. Yeah. And for them, mm -hmm. I have no idea what that means. But, and so I have a soft spot in my heart for children who have IEP or even 504 plans. I understand it. Oh, um, right. That's like, I'm from Texas. Every once in a while, the Texan accent comes out, but yeah. can't help it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that I think about myself in high school. And if I had this much time off in high school and I went back and I'm sitting next to my friends without, you know, I had a, a hard life growing up. Um, 
no different than a lot of people, but there were some difficulties. I had a father who spent most of his life in jail. My mom um, suffers from mental health issues. So I did not have that support at home. So those two, my father wasn't in the home, but no one was gonna be watching me. If this was in the 90s, there's no way I would have been on the internet or doing work or even just paperwork, we didn't have internet. I would have never been doing any of these things. And the last thing that you could do for me in September is put me in my classroom with my friends and not expect me to feel inferior, right? So I think that we need to be real about the fact that there are gonna be some kids who are gonna go into school inferior and maybe they were never thinking that they were going to drop out of school but now we're giving them an option because we're making it more of a reality, not an option, making it a reality because they're like, I can't keep up, you know? So we're gonna have to love on those kids in the best way. And I think if you do small groups, it doesn't allow them to feel a stigma attached to it. They don't feel like I'm doing something wrong. They're not alone. They're not just thrust back into a classroom, but more importantly, we can figure out what supports they need. So if someone needs to have one to two hours of, of online learning. So it's not like they have to stay after school either. You could still do online learning, but maybe the teacher gives them some extra assignments to help get them caught up and really solidify the foundation from the previous year so that when the school curriculum changes in like October, November, that they are really solid or as solid as they can be based on their ability to successfully complete the next grade. So, right. And I think Stephanie, you know, some something that you're touching on is something that I feel the pandemic has kind of amplified has shown all these kind of inequities and weaknesses in our infrastructure, whether it's healthcare, whether it's schooling, um, voter suppression, like these are the things that are coming out like to the, to a breaking point because now we have all this pressure on all our systems that were broken to begin with. Um, and I think that's a big motivator uh, for the rest of my campaign, for sure, um, especially voter suppression. After watching what happened in Wisconsin, you know, our voting rights are under attack and we have to be vigilant in both protecting those rights, um, but expanding the right to vote as well, which means like right now there's a bill in the state house, um, Rep Madero and uh, Becca Rausch um, are working on, which is the uh, mail-in ballot, so voting by mail. Um, I'm a big supporter of that. And, you know, I, I don't see this um, health crisis going away anytime soon. So the sooner we can make voting by mail just kind of common sense every day, that's just, you know, business as usual, it should be. And it shouldn't be like a fight to get that. Thank you. We're talking to uh, two candidates for Massachusetts State Rep, Michelle Mellett and Stephanie Everett. Uh, we're the Young Jerks. We have some questions, uh, some people listening to. Oh, okay. If you have questions, you can also call in. There's like a Zoom room number. If you have Zoom, it's zoom.us. You can download the app if you don't. But uh, our room number is 657-577-6264. It's a new way to call in. We used to take the live phone calls. This is the way we can take your Zoom calls. You can call in on video or audio that way, I believe. 657-577-6264 is our Zoom room number. Uh, my name is Mike Crawford. We have, again, two guests. I have a couple questions I wanna ask. Um, I guess, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure I get to is uh, essential workers. Because I feel like there's a lot of essential workers that we're calling heroes right now, but we're not really treating them like heroes. And they're being forced to work and, and 
you know, what's some of those probably are, are parents that have children in Boston public schools and they're having to go to work um, and try to educate their children as well. But they're not being protected. Like we're, we're, we just did it like kind of a, a huge show for us a few, like a week ago. With four mm, the, New Access. Did you see this? Did you watch that? Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. there were four uh, ex-employees, recently ex-employees at New England Treatment Access, which is a huge medical cannabis dispensary in the area. Probably the biggest, it is the biggest one in Massachusetts. Uh, it's in Brookline, uh, Northampton and Franklin. Um, and they, sh like, they went through a litany of issues, but a lot of them were, and, and really what I'm working on right now in a print story is quoting a lot of what they said on that show. And it's, you know, COVID-19 issues, safety issues, health and safety issues, and an employer that doesn't seem to care about their health and safety. Um, and I think this is widespread. I don't think, you know, I think cannabis obviously is having some issues because it's such a new industry and the Cannabis Control Commission doesn't really seem to have the teeth or the uh, investigators to look at the bad players in that industry. Um, but I think this is across the board. We're hearing stories, you know, at supermarkets and other places where people aren't being paid a living wage and they're risking, they're literally, you know, literally risking their lives without protective equipment, without any thought or plans. What can we do to kind of help make sure those jobs are actually good jobs because they are important right now? Right. Mike, I just want to say real quickly, um, for people like the workers that you had on the show previously, um, something that they need to know is that if you have an employer that refuses to give you PPE and continues to make you work and show up for your shifts, um, you have a right to quit that job and apply for unemployment insurance. Um, so I think that's important for people to know. Uh, before it was like, if you quit your job, you, you're not really eligible for those that insurance, um, but it's it's different right now because of this um, health crisis. So that's one thing. Um, I think workers just need to, we need to treat workers with the respect that, you know, this heroic kind of approach right now, it's like we should be treating them like that, you know, before this happened and then continuously throughout this. Um, if you care about these workers so much, the person at the drive-through, the person you know get delivering your groceries, um, they need real healthcare, and we also need healthcare that's not directly connected to our unemployment. Um, you see, just uh, record numbers of unemployed right now. They all lost their health insurance. Once again, the pandemic is just like cracking down on all this weak infrastructure that America has just been kind of gliding across over the last decade or so. Um, so it, it's going to take new leadership. It's going to take progressive leadership. It, it's going to take strong female leadership, honestly, to get us through this. Um, we've seen what GOP values get us, and it's a dystopia where billionaires go on as business as usual and the rest of us suffer. And to that I say, well, I can't say it on air, but. <laughs> Don't say it on air. <laughs> Tell me after. One, I want to thank our essential um, workers, but I also want us to recognize that this pandemic is calling them essential, but they've always been essential. We live in New England. When it snows, we all flood the supermarket. 
right? So they've already been essential. I, I literally run on Dunkin' Donuts. If you go back in my page, whenever we've had a snowstorm, my number one question is, anyone find a Dunkin' Donuts that's open, right? So I think that we, one, should appreciate who they are, and it should not have taken this pandemic. I used to work at a supermarket growing up. It offered me a safe space from my home. It offered me to have someone mm -hmm. come in my home. I was, a, you know, helpful to my home by being able to bring food home because I had money to do that. It allowed so much. So it's, it was essential to my household growing up. It's essential to the employees who are working in these establishments, and we should always treat them as such. They're not essential just because of COVID. They've been essential our entire lives. So we need to, one, recognize them with, with pay that matches what's going on, as well mm -hmm. as, the, as Michelle said, the health insurance. If we started to treat people in the way that we actually need them, then we would value them more. But we don't value those who work at the supermarket. But if the supermarket was not open, how would you eat? If the supermarket was not open, how would you feed your family? And, and so you can't treat people like that. And like I said, it snows all the time. And what do we do? The, the shelves get are snow tomorrow. <laughs> yes, the shelves are empty. So what does that tell you that they've already been essential? We just were not doing our job as their protectors, as their um their clients are you know we just didn't do our job we should have done our job a long time ago and said out loud that they are essential and maybe that would have changed i do hope going forward that when we see someone who works in a supermarket or in a drive-through someplace that we are more appreciative of who they are we are more understanding of how they help our lives function every day none of us we would not be on the phone right now um, on this call, if it were not for these essential workers who have always Absolutely. been present. So I, I think that we should start there. We, think we need to start paying them what they're worth, and we need to recognize and respect them for all they do to keep us fed and safe and healthy in our homes at this time. Thank you. So um, vote for Stephanie Everett. <laughs> yes. I have another question followed up on that, because uh, mm -hmm. something that's come up with the NETA issue is these four employees and many others um, actually, maybe not all four of them, because some of them left before this, but, you know, recently, a bunch of them were laid off. And it was during a time with this uh, COVID-19, number one, mm -hmm. uh, where some really troubling information that we kind of revealed on the show about how they did handle it and the way that they, it's a, it's kind of a long story. I don't want to get into all the details, but basically they laid people off during union organizing and a COVID-19 scandal uh, that was in the Boston Globe and with me now, you know, all over it. And so when they laid everyone off or furloughed them, they asked that most of them, like actually all of, all of them, anyone that was laid off or furloughed was asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And with a Cannabis Control Commission investigation against them about the COVID-19 issue, with uh, mold in this facility, uh, with, you know, aphids, the bugs all over the plants in this, like there's a, we have all the evidence, we're about to put it out, you know, we, four people came on, put their name on the line, uh, and they're not the first four. We talked to people over the last couple of years at this place. This has been an ongoing problem at this dispensary. And the Cannabis Control Commission is doing nothing about it. Uh, 
with the non-disclosure agreements, these people had to make a decision whether to sign that form and take their severance pay. Without uh, signing that form, they couldn't get their severance pay. Now, a lot of them are worried, and some of the others are worried that if they actually do the right thing and stand up for their fellow employees, they think that the, the, these existing employees are at great risk on a number of levels. And by coming on my show or speaking to the Boston Globe or other reporters, they're worried that they're going to get sued if they'd sign that non-disclosure agreement. Um, so my question is, how do we, I mean, non-disclosure agreements, I think, you know, they have their place. You know, if, if someone's trying to protect the secret recipe for Coke, I'm, I'm fine with that. But when it protects criminal behavior, when it protect, you know, protects health and safety complaints and violations, when it protects, you know, whist when it stops whistleblowers from speaking to the press, that's when I get really upset. Uh, and I think that th this happens a lot. We've seen this with sexual harassment, where the NDAs are just basically tools to cover up crimes in a lot of respects and cover up scandals and cover up right. really bad stuff. Um, and this is what it seems like here. They're going to pay people off, lay them off and uh, get them not to talk about this. But some of them are talking about it anyway. So now they're worried they're going to get sued. Uh, what can we do if you're elected to, you know, to the state legislature? to help people from abusive corporations that want them to sign non-disclosure agreements for severance pay? So I think first we need to look into um, the wording that establishes the commission to see that, to see what powers they have um, to actually go after corporations such as that. So that that's number one. We need to, if the powers um, bestowed onto the commission are not strong enough then we need to strengthen those. Um, I'm going to stop for a second and say, if you are being forced to sign an NDA to get your settlement um, or your severance package, call an attorney. Do not sign an NDA without some legal advice. I had someone else call me about that since this has gone on, and I do not do employment law. I, I refer those on. However, I will say, that there are laws that can protect you and any con an NDA is a contract which means that there has to be a benefit on each side if the benefit to me is that I'm going to sign away my right to say anything that's my detriment and the benefit is I'm going to get cash in return then I need to know how much that cash is like how much are you really so you need to be able to negotiate that an NDA should be negotiated it should not be, I'm just going to sign away because you don't know what you're signing away. And I also do not believe if the criminal system really wants to get someone to testify, they will. An NDA means that you can be sued civilly. It does not prevent you from get, from anything with criminal matters, right? So it just means mm -hmm. that if I violate it civilly, I'm sued. But if the language in the NDA should say, if criminal charges are brought against that, you can't sue me because I'm being subpoenaed in, right? So subpoena powers should be greater than the NDA. Okay. And so I would tell anyone who is being forced to sign an NDA in order to get a severance package, you need to call an employment attorney who really specializes in this stuff to make sure that the package is okay. correct, the wording is correct. I'm not telling you not to do it, especially given people need resources right now, but I do think that the benefit to yourself should be hugely greater than the detriment. Okay. Awesome. 
great advice. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Steph. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Um, and just um, from my perspective, for running for state rep, I mean, that's our job, right? If, I mean, too bad this facility isn't in my district because I would be all over this. But it's actually in, um, I think the guy's name is State Rep Jeff Roy. So if people want to look him up, you give him a call, you send him an email, you send him another email, especially if you're one of the employees. Um, that's their job. It's called public servant for a reason. And if you see someone is suffering, having problems in a workplace, of course, it's your job to help them navigate whatever it is, whether it's unemployment, whether it's these weird NDAs, um, and especially it really angers me when it's just a safety issue at work. I mean, you have to go to work, right? But right. you don't have to suffer through things that hurt your personal health, whether it's mold at the facility or, you know, just, you know, dangerous working conditions. There's no fire exits, things like that. So that to me, um, it's too bad. That's not in my district, but I still care about because in the end, when me and Stephanie are state reps, we vote on things that are statewide issues. So a lot of times when I tell people what I'm doing, where I'm running, they're like, oh, that's not my district, I don't care. You should care because oh, what I I'm do. voting on affects everyone yeah. in the state. Yeah, it's not, not in my district, but I care district. about it because it's in my state. Yeah. You, know? you guys, if you are both elected, you'll decide what happens in my town, even though it's not my district, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So. Yeah, so I think it's, it's really important for people to make that connection. Yeah. Um, and that's why state, state level races are more sometimes more important than federal races because they directly affect your everyday life. They sure do. I think they're very important. We spend a lot of time on them. Um, some, we had some questions. Uh, there was a question okay. from uh, Wendy Lynn Dixon who wrote, what help is there for undocumented workers out there that don't have social security numbers to apply for unemployment right now? So I, it, Tell Wendy to send me a message on Facebook. <laughs> I do know that I was speaking, there, there's some groups who are trying to help out undocumented immigrants. I can't think off the top of my head the names of the groups, but if you send me um, an inbox, I check the messages myself. So um, I will get the information to you to help you get, or someone you know, get the information they need so that they will have access to some funds during this time. Perfect. And right. Do, and I, okay. I know, Wendy, um, I actually don't know the answer to that right now, Wendy, but I'll look it up and um, I'll definitely send you kind of some feedback on resources for if someone you know is struggling with um, undocumented can help. So I, I think I've talked about even doing a community fund. This is exactly why I think we need a community fund, a fund that we put money into ourselves. We may get some big organizations to help, but when we have issues like this, like we need an undocumented, undocumented family who needs to eat. We shouldn't have to go through any red tape. You fill out a form online and then someone drops money into your account. I think it should be that simple. We need to start trying yeah. to figure out how we work together. Um, but again, there are different, I believe there's nonprofits, there's different groups, but if you just send me a call, I def or send me a message, yeah, I definitely will. Okay, great, thanks. And so I will share them with you in case you run across that as well. Yeah, totally. Thank you, Stephanie and Michelle. Uh, we have Stephanie Everett and Michelle Mullet, uh, two Massachusetts state rep candidates on the Zoom. Got quite a few listeners. 
for a Sunday evening. It's almost <laughs> seven o'clock. Yeah. I don't know. Is it 60 minutes time yet? We're competing with 60 minutes. We're doing all right. <laughs> that show's still on. That's it dusty, is. That's man. like our competition now. <laughs> like everyone's like, what, what about that other uh, show or whatever? Like people like, you know, on the local cannabis scene, because we are a cannabis show. And I'm like, dude, my, my competition isn't them. It's like, you know, video games and <laughs> like dinner. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, well, we get off dinner here. So. Yeah, like that's what I'm yeah, missing right now. Dinner. So yeah, I, I, I thought I was gonna eat early, but then, yeah, the dinner's sitting on the table. I cooked it too. I hope my girlfriend oh, ate man. it. She, she's Today's waiting my for me. Birthday, so we, we, I went. Oh, really? Got, yeah, we're supposed to be in Rome for his birthday. <gasps> Oh, I'm sorry, Stephanie. Yeah. So every year since he turned 50, I surprise him with the trip. So he had no idea until this morning that he was actually supposed to wake up in Rome today on his birthday. Oh, man. So oh. I went to Margiano's and did curbside. So the, the whole family <laughs> is impatiently waiting to eat. I was like, you got to wait? Oh. So they'll be fine. He'll be fine? This is, yeah. My oh. birthday's tomorrow, actually. That's interesting. Well, yeah, if I hear your stomach grubbling, Michael. Like, what a good guy. He's waiting know. for you on his birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Oh, he's not hungry. What is his name? Will. Will. Happy birthday, Will. Will. Happy birthday, Will. They're all upstairs trying to give me a moment. They are. They're like, hurry up and get down. We want to eat. <laughs> Probably getting the same thing in my house over here, but she's great. Um, again, we're the young jerks. We have some other questions, too. I want to ask you. We kind of touched on it, but actually, I'm not sure which one I want to go to. But when we go to food, food insecurity. Because that, okay. that has become like, you know, we talked about the frontline workers and, but food is like become a huge issue. I mean, we're all, I think we're all paying more for it now too. Like I'm like, I'm pretty price conscious on stuff. I go to market basket, you know, the whole, whole nine ads, but now I don't, I mean, I've gone a few times to the store, but mostly not. We are even doing deliveries. We're paying a lot more for everything now, no matter what, because you want to try to limit your, you know. You're shopping right. trips. You right. want to and try to get like everything. You do, yeah, so so yeah, what I do we do about this? I mean, this is a mm -hmm. big issue and it's worse for people where they live, you know, depending on where you live and where you, but how do we, how do we, it seems like there's some things happening right now where we're seeing restaurants starting to provide food and things like, things like that in different places. What do we do to, to make sure that we, you know, fix this food insecurity problem, especially uh, based on zip code, because people in different zip codes don't have the same access to, to good food at good prices. So my motto for my campaign is we are better together. And that is exactly where that's coming from, right? So the food insecurities, getting around, having safety plans, school, there's a whole bunch of things. As far as food is concerned, I have found that the population I talk to the most that have food scarcity is um, our seniors and seniors uh, uh, one there is rightfully you know when this first started happening it you know we heard on the news that ventilators are basically going to start being um, lotteried off <laughs> who was going to get one and seniors seem to be on the chopping block so I had seniors who did not want to leave their house at all I just ordered um, dinners to another senior's home while they're waiting for Meals on Wheels Meals on Wheels is available still um, the Greater Boston Food Bank is still doing food pantries. I think that we as a community just need to call our seniors. You need to check in with your neighbors to figure out what they need and what they don't need. 
Um, a good friend of mine, what he um, used to do for his neighborhood, I think he still continues to do, he would go buy, you know, there was like two for, for two for tuna or something like that. He would buy those extra cans. So when he's talking to a senior, he doesn't have to go into a store. He just goes into his pantry and he drops it off. But th you have to be creative in how you ask them for it. I do think that we have one of them, and I think Michelle can probably speak to this as well, having one repository of information. I have said, I would like to go to mass.gov, find and see 351 cities and towns and what those 351 towns are doing in their city around these major things impacting our district. So if you went to mass.gov right now and it said COVID relief and you clicked on it and every city and town, once you clicked on, so for me, if I clicked on Boston, it would tell me where I can get food. It could tell me how I can get internet. It can tell me where I can get some parent support from. It can tell me where seniors can get support from. And I think that we need to have that repository. So this is why we're gonna be better together because we're gonna need people to pour that information in. It's not just about a nonprofit that exists. It's not just about a big corporation doing it. Mom and pop stores are doing it. I, like I said, I'm ordering food. If someone tells me there's someone at home, right. I bought two meals from, Boston Market, had them delivered to her. So she had food for the entire weekend while we were trying to figure out what was going on with Meals on Wheels, right? So that was just $30 out of my pockets. But if we had a repository of that information so that, you know, if Michelle wanted to be on the list, or if I wanted to be on the list for these different cities and towns, people would know she's good for a meal if my grandmother or this family of, of five or six or whatever needs a meal for the night while we're trying to figure it out. But I do believe that we need to have a repository of information so that people know where to go. We just don't have that. So you're, you're, you're like scrambling. Where do we get this information from? Where do I know to get food from? I know because of what I do for a living and who I, I know and I have as friends, but that doesn't mean my next door neighbor knows that. Some people may not know that they didn't qualify for food stamps before, but they may qualify now. Right. If you didn't have um, with before, but you need it now because you have a, a young child or you need it for, you know, just milk. Things like you're saying, like things have gotten outrageous. And prices. prices are going out. Yeah, right. Eight dollars for eggs. Come on. Yeah, you qualified for WIC. Chicken's expensive now. <laughs> like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you just go like the cheap chicken you used to get. You're like, wow. Yeah, it's but crazy. I think that we just need to be able to give that information out. That Absolutely, Stephanie. And I mean, to what you're saying, like, standardize these things and don't do this kind of work piecemeal like the federal government yeah. like you can't go state by state with a virus the virus doesn't see the border between georgia and mississippi and like you just can't do it that way and the other thing is like when we're providing these services when you're organizing and getting you know this resource on like mass.gov like you're talking about i mean this is what government is for this is why you pay taxes so they can take care of you in the middle of an effing global pandemic. <laughs> if you, if they can't help us now, what's the point of paying taxes? What are we paying for? My kids aren't not in school. I paid for that. I paid for it like a thousand dollars on the bus. That's gone. <laughs> you know, all these, all these things that you pay into, you should see something in return. And right now we're not seeing that. Thank you. We've got uh, two great candidates for Massachusetts State Rep, Michelle Mullet and Stephanie Everett. We're having a great conversation about COVID-19, uh, the local response solutions. I like this, that we we're talking about actual solutions and things that we can 
hopefully see happen. I love the central repository idea because I think that's information. That's like so key to know where, where you can go, especially for yeah. people who um, are new to town. Also, I just want to mention something also related to food insecurity, and that is a lot of schools um, in my district are still continuing the lunch programs. You can get breakfast and lunch. You just go kind of curbside and pick it up in a brown bag. Another thing that's, um, that's been happening through Maskell is called Farm to School. Um, so that's where our agriculture and farms uh, northern, like that are mostly in the northern part of the state have been coordinating with schools to create healthier meals. But I know um, a friend of mine from Emerge, her name is Samantha Kelly, she's been working on that program for years and I'm sure that they are converting that into a more like COVID centered, like helping people that are struggling right now. Um, because of course they still have that food and they still want to distribute it. So I would encourage people to look up Farm to School um, and maybe find out how you can get connected with that program. Awesome. Good information. Um, other questions we have. The incarceration issue because this is like the prison issue the massachusetts state prison uh before covid19 there was like a big scandal going on with the way they were treating the prison prisoners there was a violent assault against a prison guard uh some of the state senators were going out there to, to look at some of the conditions that you know prisoners were in in massachusetts so the massachusetts department of correction has kind of been under you know, a cloud, uh, even before COVID-19. And now you add COVID-19, and we know uh, for a fact that nursing homes um, and especially prisons are places where this spreads like wildfire because people are in close proximity to each other, just the way the prisons are designed. Uh, there's nowhere, you can't get six feet, if, you know, apart if you have two people in a prison cell. It just doesn't, it's not possible. And the same thing um, affects nurses and the prison guards and everyone that works at these places. So it affects all of us. It, 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 it increases the spread. What what uh, can we do? What what do you think is like? There has been some you know decarceration happening in Massachusetts, but it doesn't seem like it's like you know robust. It doesn't seem like it's really serious. What do you, what do we do about this? Like even just the prison issue before COVID-19, but now during COVID-19, what are the solutions that you can impact as a Massachusetts state rep on this issue? So um, I'm a criminal attorney. Um, and so I'm intimately aware of what was happening at the jails prior to COVID-19 and what's going on now. I think one of the things that we should clarify before we move forward was that I think that the reporting of the decision from the SJC release um, pre-trial detainees and some um, post-trial um, inmates from jail is has been misrepresented. It is not a day where they're going to open up the jails and everyone who has a pre-existing condition is walking out the front door. So that's number one. I actually did a hearing to try to have someone released who suffers from sickle cell anemia. Um, I won't say what facility he's in, but he, um, where he is at, they have had positive cases with then the staff. And because of his past criminal record, he was not allowed to come out. So he's 
pretrial detainee, he's not sentenced, right? So um, I, I think that what we, need it to, what we need to do is obviously, these are the things that we have to be creative. How do we do this? So one of the suggestions, and I'll just say what I said when I was arguing for him to come out, was that he go on GPS, right? So there's an issue that I am never going to tell a community they should not be afraid if someone is released, right? So as a criminal defense attorney, I get other people's concerns. However, I also get the constitutional rights that are still afforded to a client who has not been um, either found guilty or acquitted. They haven't gone through the whole process yet, right? So all of their constitutional rights are still in play. And I think that, again, there's no one right answer we just need to be creative, whether it's we need to move those who can be safely moved home and put a GPS monitor and have them on home confinement the whole time because then there's someone who can monitor if they're moving or not. Um, I don't really know the exact answer, but I, don't, I know that in Massachusetts, we do not have the death penalty. So if you leave someone who has a pre-existing condition in a facility where there is known COVID crisis, uh, no COVID cases, then we are potentially giving them a life sentence because they can, sorry, a death sentence because they cannot fight off this virus. They already have an issue. The person I was representing has sickle cell anemia. This is not someone who um, had, you know, there's been this talk about black people would just lose weight, start eating right. This is something he is born with. I have dog, my husband has sickle cell anemia trait and I have two of our children together have this, the trait as well, okay? So this is not something that they did to themselves. This is what they are yeah, born. It's hereditary. Yes. So one, I think we need to find a balance of what that looks like to have someone come back home and be safe and have the community still feel safe. We also need to recognize that there's still constitutional rights that are available to everyone. Um, and again, we just need to come up with some creative solutions. I will say, that I've heard more people get denied for this motion than allowed. So if, if people are concerned that there's a whole bunch of right. being let out of the jail, that is not yeah. happening. <laughs> no. yeah. The DAs are opposing it. And if you are like my client, where you have a past history of defaulting, then the judge is still using that as a reason why you should not be released from jail. So. Don't buy into that, please. Right. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, uh, it, I mean, we even saw someone was released from jail. The district attorney, Rachel Rollins, wanted them back in jail. Yeah. That, that story. Wow, that's rarity. It, it, yeah, and everyone, it was so funny because it was in the Herald. And it's like, if you didn't read, like, if you just saw the headline, you would assume that Rachel Rollins was the one that wanted him out. Just yeah. And then you read the story and it's like, no, she wanted actually him to stay in jail because she felt like he was a threat. So yeah, there, there Rachel, are people looking people are, at it. And there are some people who, and again, this is why you cannot dismiss public concerns about someone being released, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm more, I mean, I don't want, violence. Yeah. I want to make sure people are clear on that on my end too, because a lot of people make assumptions about me. I don't want violent people free running around the streets, but. There are a lot of people who have, you know, there's different issues on why people uh, end up in jail. And a lot of times it's things like drug abuse or even, uh, you know, shoplifting or maybe it's grand larceny even. Maybe they're, a, you know, a kingpin thief 
or right. uh, maybe they were, you know, up at the state house and did some Mental corruption. Health. Who knows? White collar crime. But you know, these these a case by case basis. I think we should be releasing a lot more people to protect us all. I think that makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, I support that as well. And you know, I, I do support like early release of nonviolent offenders if they've mostly done most of their time and they only have a little bit of time left. Like they're using, you know, state facilities and maybe it's just better to let them go. Um, same thing with people that maybe just got arrested and are, they can't bail out, they can't afford it because we have terrible system for bail. Um, those people that are waiting trial, you should probably let those people go too. So. Yeah, so there, there's, there's arguments on both sides and I don't want to discredit either or. I'm very biased as a criminal attorney, <laughs> but- um, you say you're criminal, you defend, you're a criminal defense yes, attorney? Yes, I'm a criminal defense attorney. So I definitely have some biases and, you know, I think that's the easiest way to say it, but <laughs> I, I only have one client who's currently um, in jail and having to deal with this, but I check in with him and his family constantly and they're doing well. So um, it's just where, I think one of the things people are not understanding either is that the court's not open to the public right now. So all you have people who cannot, he's one of them, who cannot afford the bail. And yeah, the bail could be $2,000. They just cannot afford this. No especially now with unemployment, they cannot afford the bail. So there, there are a lot of reasons why someone's still sitting in jail, but the court's not moving. So if it's a case that could be dismissed with, you know, or put on, pro someone could be put on probation, they can't come out because there's no process going on at the courts in Alexis and emergency. So I think wow. people, I want to stand still. If you're caught in that system right now, you're stuck. That's, that's you're really stuck. tough. I, I have that's some crazy. Who are out and they need to, they want to apply for housing, they want to apply for jobs, but they have an open matter. And one of them is just like a money matter. It's nothing like that. It was no violence to it, but they can't move. They're literally right. stuck until the courts open back up. So I, I think it's a bigger conversation on how do we expand the court system so that we do have these video capabilities. They do All have the time, twenty four seven, not just when it's a big time. But, you know, case, right? Get with the twenty first century. Yeah, yeah. I, that makes total sense. <laughs> we need to invest in our courts. It looks like and get them up to. <laughs> Speed. Um, I want to ask a couple more things too. Um, but just on the, I guess on the Governor Baker issue, because uh, there are idiots out there now protesting him uh, at his house. And, you know, I went out there to film some of these morons and, and they, they were accusing Mike me of working like for Charlie series, Baker, which is hilarious. Stephanie, what if you, you haven't seen these him? videos yet, he's so good. No, I saw them with our, our, our new friend Diane. I saw them. That's my new best friend. In their face, like you. <laughs> Diane's my new best friend. Like, I was like, oh, oh Diane, you're talking about Diane. Crazy Diane. Oh, yeah. D-I-A-N-N-A-A, whatever, like, weird spelling she has. D-I-A-I-A-N-N-A. It's actually Diana. I call her Diana. Yeah, so shout out to Diana. But on the on the Governor Baker issue, how do you think he's doing? You know, usually I never praise him, but I think he's actually doing okay. But, like, he's going to have a big decision coming up because – it's like in another week we're supposed to reopen everything, you know, supposedly, but it doesn't look, he sees indicating he's not going to, but like he hasn't made the decision. I think it's May 5th is 
like everything's closed till May 5th. Yeah, May 4th and May 5th. May something like, like that. Yeah. Has, so this is trying for him. It has to be. I mean, first of all, let's be thankful that we don't have um, a governor telling us to open everything back up, right? So right. Um, so one of these. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of planning. I'm a I'm a fan of someone taking the time to assess situations and make a clear decision mm -hmm. on that. It may not be the best decision for everyone. I think going to the governor's house is not helping you. It's not like the entire state went with you. You're, there's not enough of you. Um, there's more of us who want to be protected. We want to be protected in ourselves, protected in our homes, protected with our families. I, Michelle, I have a daughter who also has asthma. So oh. she, she can't go anywhere, right? So even if <laughs> we're to open back up the world, <laughs> like she's still stuck in this house because- No, it's scary. Yeah, and I think it was late February, she had an appointment, she was in orange, the cold orange color, they have three colors for um, your asthma testing, and there's no way she's leaving my house um, until, and I, so I won't know when she's gonna right. be green. I, I will test her probably near the end of the, the summer, mainly because that's when I think she should go back outside and be exposed to other people. We luckily have a backyard and she has a trampoline out there so she can go enjoy mm -hmm. herself. If her, she does gymnastics, if they decide to open back up, we would have to really do a long process for that to happen, which would include, you know, her primary care telling us how that should happen. Um, or if it can, but it, it's going to be a while before she, op she goes. But I think that the governor's doing what, no one, again, we have no roadmap for this, right? So you have to do what's going to protect the masses, even if it pisses off a small amount. I'd rather have people upset with me and breathing and capable of being upset with me than grieving and dying. I think that makes sense too, right? Right. Great. Yeah, for me, I mean, Governor Baker, um, he's doing his job. That I mean, that's the baseline. Yeah. But he, he is also someone that's gotten through um, most of his terms on the on the kind of I'm a good guy platform, which to me is like a guy walking around with a bucket that says good guy, but there's really nothing yeah. in there. Yeah, he's just um, a corporate guy, really. <laughs> um, so same thing for my opponent. It's like they love to walk around and look, I got a picture with the Boy Scouts and look at what I did. I got a new, you know, shuttle for the senior center. You know, that's the one thing out of like a, a million other things they could have done, but they're going to talk about their good guy bucket so he he's gonna ride this like oh i saved massachusetts and yay me but um whatever he's doing it's just it's basic is there anything that Am you I think he, that, that he's missing that he should be doing right now like um he i mean it's mostly hindsight like he could have shut down things earlier um, he could have been a lot more definitive about what gets shut down and when. And also the, the, con the kind of con conflict between like, you're going to shut down recreational um, cannabis, was, but you're going to leave the liquor stores open. And, so, and, and mass lottery. This is what kills me. It's like mass lottery is open right now. Yeah. That's, that, those are the things that bug me. I, I think overall he's doing a good job, but the rec cannabis, not letting them be open, so, but you have mass lottery open and like you said, alcohol. But um, looking at cannabis anyways, we have another cannabis question. Uh, Chauncey okay. Spencer is uh, watching. He's a friend of the show. He's been on the show several times. He's an economic empowerment applicant. And uh, oh, 
Mattapan for cannabis, and he's had a lot of problems even getting a hearing in Boston. He was the first applicant, but he still hasn't had a hearing, um, the host community agreement hearing. Um, but Chauncey writes, I went to school with Stephanie in middle school at the Lu- Lewinberg. Lewinberg. Ask, <laughs> yeah. Ask her what she thinks about cannabis sales in Mattapan Square. So I know that it received... Have you, I don't know if you two have ever been to Mattapan Square. It's very... Uh, yes. Okay. I actually went for, a, yeah, a couple times. It's very densely populated. Um, and I think there was a lot of fighting um, amongst the residents that live nearby, whether or not one should be there. Um, having, as he knows, having grown up in Mattapan, um, smoking weed in, in Mattapan Square is nothing new. <laughs> However, legally doing it may be something that they don't want to do. Um, I'm part of the Community Advisory Committee, I think that's what we're called, for the Cannabis Commission. And so we haven't met in a long time for a whole host of reasons. Um, I think we've had a couple of meetings. I actually went out to Worcester a couple of months ago just because I was like, look, what, what's going on? Um, but I think that what we need to do is figure out how we have these conversations. So one of the things is a requirement that you get the, t- the neighbors to agree that this can go there, right? But if you don't have a relationship with these communities, then you're gonna get one hothead who's gonna say no, or one hothead who's gonna say yes. And then the person who's actually seeking the application kind of gets mixed up in all of the stuff that's going on. So I would say one, I'm a fan of entrepreneurship, whatever way it is. Haven't seen so many of us growing up, as he knows, um, growing up and going to jail for marijuana. um, I think it's about time that we get our just due. And we should get our just due with um, access, if not more access. So what does that look like? Does that mean that we should find a space to help them where they can be um, so that they can have a piece of the pie? It's going to come. Whether it's coming in Mattapan or it's going to go on Hyde Park or it's going to go up the street in Milton, it's going to come someplace. And I don't see why where we've had the most impact, it's not there so that we can be positive. We can show our children how to be a businessman or woman. And so for me, I think that we need to figure out if it's not directly in Mattapan Square, where can it be? Are the residents upset and I don't know the answer to that? Are they upset because it's gonna be directly in Mattapan Square? Would you mind if we put it on the River Street side? Would you mind, and River Street behind the post office? Or would you mind if it's on River Street going toward Hyde Park near Blanchard's? Like where are we trying to put this at that you feel like it would be offensive or I'm sorry, least offensive, so that we can actually get some of this pot. Cause someone's gonna get it. And I don't see why communities who have suffered the most, whose families who have been separated at the alarming rates greater than any other can't actually be part of this system. I like to see it. A lot of issues in the uh, rollout on cannabis on so many levels, whether you're a yeah. patient consumer or entrepreneur, it's uh. It's yeah, Mike, hey, I was going to ask even you. going good for the big money. The big money's even getting wiped yeah. out, which I'm not and unhappy didn't, um, didn't that commissioner just quit? Or uh, Yeah, I think, I think uh, her term, you know, she's still there for a few more days. But yeah, at the beginning of May, I think she's leaving. Um, 
No, it? not Shaleen. Not Shaleen's term, I believe, is actually um, up this year as well. Okay. But she's not. She hasn't said anything about leaving. We have no idea what will happen if she'll get reappointed. It's um, another commissioner, um, which I'm uh, Kay Doyle. Okay. Sure, that's leaving, but she's leaving pretty soon. Yes. Probably the next week or two. Mm-hmm. And that's appointed, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see who they appoint. We have a few uh, candidates that we're we're kind of backing. We'll see what happens. One of them is hopefully hopefully people have gone on because the governor used to have, and I haven't looked in a while, but there's a way to see what boards and commissions have openings. So I would encourage those who are interested to look on the governor's website and apply so you can get your name in You can formally apply through his website that way? So there is a process. I don't know what it is. I can look it up, um, but anyone can look it up. If you look on boards and commission on mass.gov, it will tell you the process. It tells you who, and I haven't looked in a while, but it does tell you when someone's term is ending as well as how to apply. So um, a lot of times the governor may have his own pool of people, but um, they all have to go through this process. I would tell you to talk to your state senator and state rep to have them help your application get to the governor's desk. But there is a person who does it in the governor's office. Interesting stuff. We'll see what happens on that Cannabis Control Commission. It should be very interesting. Um, we are hoping for a few candidates that uh, are more like Shaleen. I, you know, yeah, more more right. about you know, totally. pro cannabis, not uh, coming from a world where you have either big money or being completely anti cannabis, which is kind of what we saw yes. with most of the yeah. appointments last time, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I really thank you for your time. You've been here for quite a while, answered a lot of questions. Is there anything you kind of want to like bring to our attention, like you know, closing thoughts even for uh, you know the guest, the audience, excuse me, watching? So I would just say one. I want to thank you for having me on, and Michelle for also inviting me to to join you today. This has been a lot of fun. I'm getting used to like you are, Mike, this whole Zoom world, but mm-hmm. it's been great. Um, I, I would leave with just saying that. We are 100% better together. There is no right or wrong answers here. It's all about creativity and solutions. And I look forward to meeting a lot more people on Zoom or on the phone during this time. And you know, we could talk about the solutions. I don't purport to be an expert in anything other than you know being a mom <laughs> to my children, not to all children. Um, but. I, I'm looking forward to working with so many people in different fields that are going to help make us um, better as candidates, make us better as legislators so that we can get through whatever is going through next um, in a very collective, loud voice to make sure that those who are underserved, underrepresented actually have a strong voice in the state house and that policies and budget items that directly impact us are actually going to not be on the chopping block, but they are going to be the things that we have to pour our energy and in, in words and, and money into. So again, thank you both for having me on and good luck, Michelle. Thank you. And thank you, Mike, for having me on again. Um, just wanna let people know from my campaign, we're going, we're moving forward. I know it's hard right now, um, but I feel like the hardest part was getting on the ballot <laughs> during the global pandemic. Um, moving forward, we've 
it's my name on the ballot, but I'm just one voice that's part of the bigger progressive movement. And we're getting stronger every day, especially through this crisis, because like I said, it's really shook the foundation of everything that runs a community. And this is a chance for us to rebuild and restructure and ask for the things that we really want and we really need. Um, and that's what I'm gonna do for my community, my district, my state. Um, I wanna thank all my volunteers who've been working on postcards, everyone who signed my papers, um, everyone on the call today. And um, thanks Stephanie for coming on, it was really fun. And looking forward to working in the state house with you. <laughs> Same here. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Stephanie Everett and Michelle Mullet, both running for Massachusetts State Rep. Uh, you have websites and social media as well? So I don't oh, yeah. have a website yet, but you can just find me on Facebook. It's um, Stephanie Everett for State Rep. You can also, I'm getting a lot of people friending me on my um, personal Facebook page, which I'm fine with. I'm an open book. There's nothing bad on there. Um, <laughs> And my email is just, um, you could do stepheverett05 at gmail.com. Um, again, just send me messages and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And hopefully we'll have everything up and running in the next month after signature collection is over. Perfect. Thank you, Stephanie awesome. Everett. Thank you. Yeah. And for me, it's uh, my name, michellemullet.com. And Twitter, it's at vote for mullet. Um, and for Facebook, it's at michellemullet2020. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time on a Sunday and uh happy birthday to your husband. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. See Thank you. Later. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Mike Crawford of The Young Jerks. I want to thank you for listening, subscribing to The Young Jerks podcast, and also recommend that if you would like to support us with a financial contribution, that you do so through the Anchor app or through midnightmass.substack.com, become a paying subscriber. Or if you'd like to just send us a donation, you could do so through Venmo. It's Mike Crawford, TYJ on Venmo. Thank you very much. And uh, also, if you could rate and review us on iTunes, it is much appreciated. Thank you.